Welcome everyone. I am Andrew Duckworth and I would like to thank you for joining us for our special series of BJJ podcasts on the COVID-19 pandemic. As we all know, the impact of the pandemic is being felt throughout the world and without doubt will have affected every facet of our professional and personal lives. Through these podcasts, we hope to reflect on the main issues that have arisen as a consequence of the COVID-19 pandemic for us in orthopedic and trauma surgery, as well as our profession as a whole. We hope to give you insights from colleagues throughout the UK, as well as from across the globe, including hearing from colleagues working in some of the worst affected areas in the world, as we will today. We also feel it's an opportunity to discuss the future in terms of both the recovery phase and what we can anticipate when the worst of the pandemic is hopefully over. So today I have the pleasure of being joined by Professor Luigi Zagra, who is the head of the hip department at the Galeazzi Orthopedic Institute in Milan, which as we all know is in the Lombardy region of Italy, which has been one of the worst affected regions in the world. Many thanks for taking the time to join us today, Luigi. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you very much for your kind introduction. No problem. So um, if we first of all start, Luigi, with the overall impact of COVID in Italy, um, uh, as I'm sure all of our listeners have watched and, and heard this with shock and fear at how badly affected your region and country have been by the virus. And of course, our thoughts have all have, have been with you all during this time. If you could just generally start and giving us a general overview of the impact of the COVID crisis on the healthcare in Italy, the numbers of the people affected currently, and also the, the effects it's had on the service provision you've been able to provide for your patients and what potential consequences you're seeing and anticipating moving forward. Thank you again, Andrew, and thank you, BJJ, for this invitation. Uh, the situation in Italy was quite dramatic in the last month, month and a half. It started at the end of January, mid-February in some areas that were in the south of my region, Lombardia. But now the situation became more and more and more dramatic. And my region, Lombardia, was mentioned as eye of the storm till now. Maybe then it moved a bit to Spain, now a bit to even US or New York. But we were really in the eye of the storm. You know that 50, 40 kilometers from me, my house, where I am now in this moment, there is Bergamo. Bergamo is, was the very big center of the story with huge numbers. At the moment, we have 132,000 cases in Italy. Uh, 29,000 are in the hospital with some symptoms. 3,800 are in intensive care units. But the worst numbers are about the deaths. We have till now in Italy 16,500 deaths. That's until yesterday. But the worst thing is that 60% of them, that means 9,200 are in my region, in Lombardia. And we had yesterday that was a bit less compared to the previous day. There were 600 more compared to the day before. But that's really big numbers. Hmm. And finally, just to give you a number, 90 of all these deaths in the country are medical doctors. So the people in the front line, most of them, are, are general doctors, are family doctors, but some of them are pneumology, some of them are intensive care doctors and so on. So this is really dramatic numbers as you can understand. Mm -hmm. We are looking some improvement in terms of general number. The pandemic reached the peak probably, but we still have the hospital full of patients because you know, even the total number do not increase. There are patients coming to the hospital more and more. Some of them were not possible to be admitted in the hospital. They stay home, they, they go all in the hospital. So there are really big numbers, especially 
around me, around Milan this time. And of course, we have some problems at the beginning. There were lack of masks. Everyone has heard about this. There were lack of respiratory machines at the beginning. The lack of beds, that's a big problem because never happened that in the same time, hundreds, thousands of patients need beds in the hospital, need intensive care units for respiratory assistance. So the hospitals were converted. My hospital is an orthopedic hospital. It was converted half percent in pure COVID patient and the other half orthopedic patient that can be COVID or not. We will can go maybe after that on that, but consider that the main problem of lacking is regarding the staff. Mm -hmm. Because 130 people of the staff in my hospital are at home because they are in some way ill. We have 500 staff, 130 are at home. So you can imagine how it can be difficult also to organize the whole story. Absolutely, Luigi. I mean, those are just... Those numbers are just so, uh, I mean, terrifying for want of a better word. They're just, they're, they're incredible. And so you said 90, 90 medical professionals have died so far throughout yes. Italy. Nine zero medical professor died till now. Oh, goodness. My goodness. I mean, for the COVID. I mean, I think, I think those numbers sort of speak for themselves in terms of the, the like, like you say, uh, your region particularly were, was the eye of the storm and, uh, and you're still dealing with it uh, now. And even you, as you say, the numbers may be dropping, but those patients are still in hospital and they're still requiring care, aren't they? In terms of though, moving on sort of from that overview, what, in terms of orthopedic and trauma care, how has that sort of changed for you in terms of implementation of your services for the trauma patients, elective surgery, if there is any, how, how, how has that changed over the past, past uh, month? It, it changed dramatically because one month ago, we stopped all the elective surgery. Will impact, of course, dramatically on the waiting list because all these patients now are put in the waiting list. We stopped everything. Then we have, as a staff, more duties because we have to cover the trauma service. My group is uh, uh, mainly devoted to hip, but also to knee, anyway, elective surgery. This is my group, my team. Mm -hmm. But now half of us are also taking care of patients in the COVID department that they are in orthopedic, of course, with the, the other colleagues, with the anesthetist, but they are there. Half of them have doubled the duties in the emergency room. And then we're taking care about the trauma cases. So we operated just on trauma cases. But this is a big problem because, you know, some of our patients cannot wait too much. Mm -hmm. Maybe second stage infection or chronic infection, severe loosening. At the beginning of the story, we tried to do some of them. Mm -hmm. Because we were allowed by our regional government to do some specific indications. Mm -hmm. Severe loosening, uh, very painful hips, very painful situation. But after doing some, we realized that it was so dangerous for the patient. Because, mm -hmm. you know, it, the, the, the most severe cases in orthopedic care many times are also fragile patients, older and so on. And when you bring them to the hospital in the present situation of pandemic everywhere, mm -hmm. they can get the virus in the hospital. And then you cannot do any rehabilitation. No. Uh, the worst situation is the 80 years old man. This is the high risk patient. Mm -hmm. You have it in the hospital for a revision, for example, because of a severe loosening. If you get the virus, it's extremely dangerous. So it completely changed. And the last change was a completely disruption of the staff. Yeah. Because my doctors are around me. 
We see everywhere, every day, if you don't have any personal connection with Dubai, WhatsApp or Zoom or whatever, we want to have an, a daily update of our activity. But the nurses, some of the nurses went into the intensive care units, some other to the emergency. So you can operate with a nurse that is not usual for you. You can take care of the patient in a different situation. So you need to be really flexible to yeah. need to be ready for changing every day. And about the juniors, we also can have some problems with our junior doctors. Mm -hmm. Personally, I think that this is a very good option for them to understand what is their real job, their work. Flexibility, and they, it's a good opportunity for them to learn different things, different approaches, how you work as a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. We try to do some uh, uh, um, online meetings, mm -hmm on several topics, but you know, now everything is focused on this also from an emotional point of view. So I think that it's anyway a good opportunity for them yeah. for this, at least this part of education. Nice. Then there is the big problem with the patients. Yeah. Because patients admitted in the hospital, if they are COVID positive is in some way not easy, but there is a clear protocol every day. There is one doctor in charge for informing the relatives how is going on, how the situation and so on. But when you are a COVID negative, you cannot meet relatives anyway because the relatives are not admitted in the hospital for the risk of dissemination now. Absolutely. So we have to take personal care of this, called relatives, your relative is okay, surgery is for tomorrow, and all these uh, 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 things that usually we don't do. Mm -hmm. So it's really a change of our work that needs flexibility, collaboration, and even some... Uh, good uh, 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 leading of this yeah no absolutely i mean it's just like you say it's just a complete another frame shift and change to our normal working day-to-day -day patterns and i think yeah sure we're, we're sort of a, a little bit obviously behind where you you are but very much the very same pattern that we've seen as well in terms of those sort of moving you mentioned it already louise you're looking at the profession you know your colleagues how how has that impacted them as a whole and not just you know working patterns which we sort of talked about but also a, a fear for themselves and their families it's it's a huge impact and nothing we've really had to deal with before in our in our in our working lives anyway there are different levels of impact the first level that we mentioned is we are all adopters and they see an extreme uh, positive reaction by the majority for a lot of colleagues were really the occasion to ask why I am a doctor. What is my mission? What is my duty with the patient? Even if I cannot do tomorrow my five total joints, because I cannot, but I have to take care of my patients. Some of them are at home. I have to consider them. So this is, was the first thing. A second impact of force is the fear, as you mentioned. Mm. We must be safe. I mentioned 90 doctors died because especially at the beginning, no one was uh, uh, um, aware of the big danger. So uh, there was less, less uh, I can say, less uh, attention, but it, it was normal at that time because mm -hmm. we were not in China. The situation was so far that we cannot understand. We are in some way, we hope that what, what we learned in our situation here in Lombardy and in Italy can be helpful for the other countries that had some time of advantage for this. So this Fear grew because we see these numbers, a lot of colleagues with some fever at least. One of ours in our team, our group was with oxygen for one week. So there is some fear. This fear is not, at least for the majority of my colleagues, it was not a reason to stop their activity. 
but to be more careful for their self and especially for their patients. Yeah. Everyone who has considered us, even if we are negative, as positive when we approach a patient, because we know that even if you know, there are 20, 25% of false negatives with the swab test, yeah. and we don't have nothing better now, and maybe that you, you, you think to be negative, and you don't know you are positive, you are false negative, and so on. So we approach the patient as if we are positive with the mask, we're taking care of everything because we know the transmission to the patient is very easy. And last, of course, also for many of us, that there's some private activity, there was also an economic impact, of course it is. But uh, we have to take care now of our work, of our patient, preserve the patient, and be safe for us. Being safe for us means being safe for the family and being yeah. safe for the patients. Absolutely, absolutely. And sort of uh, related to that, you, you've, you've talked about it already, Luigi, but how, how has the situation evolved with regarding protective equipment and testing? How has that changed, would you say, over the past, past month or so? Uh, it, you know, at the beginning, PPE were lacking. We're lacking. Yeah. Then we improved. Now, I cannot say that we don't have. We have. Mm-hmm. We have to use carefully at different levels because it's different if you just approach a patient mm-hmm. in a COVID-negative situation. Yeah. If you approach a patient in a COVID positive situation, and if you operate on a COVID positive positive patient. Mm-hmm. So there are different levels of uh, protection. Mm-hmm. You must follow the protocols and you must be very careful with all you need in terms of uh, protection of all the body, the hands, the mask, the eyes, everything. There are different evolving protocols. We must be strict with them. Yeah. What I perfectly understand in this present situation that no one can go for his way. Yeah. We need collaboration. We need networking. We also need to feel to be part of a community because when, if you are alone facing this situation, you can underestimate, and this is very dangerous for you and for your patient, and you can even in some way overestimate yeah. and do nothing. While we really need uh, to have a clear view of the evidences, and we, you know we have a huge lack of evidences, because mm-hmm. <laughs> which are the studies on this topic? We don't have. Yeah. Everything was so, 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 so immediate one day after the other. So we really uh, to be connected why, to the others at the local, uh, national, and international level to learn one to the other what are the best yeah. uh, ways to avoid contamination, to avoid dissemination. Yeah. No, absolutely. Luigi, just, just to go into that bit about, you know, the protective equipment, what, what is your policy currently in terms of, does every patient who come in get tested or do you just assume everybody? Yeah, no, no, sure, 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 sure. This is a very important question that every time I got from colleagues everywhere. Yeah. Now, you know, in the hospital, only emergencies are admitted. Yeah. All the patients that come in the hospital are tested. Right. We know that there are a number of false negatives, but we have nothing else. Now, of course. Yep. if we have clinical signs, uh, fever, uh, cough, uh, uh, respiratory stress, even if the test is negative, we consider the patient positive. Okay. We can do a CT scan, mm-hmm. uh, do something more, but we consider it positive and we repeat after two days. Okay. Anyway, all the patients that come in the hospital went in an observational area where they are considered as positive. Okay. We wait one day for the test, 
Unfortunately, this is what we need, a reliable rapid test we don't have. Yeah. But after one day, if they are positive, they go in the positive area. If they are negative, they go in the negative area. So yes. at the beginning, the, all of them are screened. Right. In the positive area at the moment, we have one floor of some orthopedic and trauma patients. Mm -hmm. We have also non-orthopedic patients, even if we are an orthopedic center, mm -hmm. because we have to take care of some patients coming from other hospitals. And our, as I told you before, our intensive care unit and one of our uh, operating theater block was converted to intensive care unit for this type of patient. Okay. The negative ones are in another floor mm -hmm. uh, and we try to discharge as soon as possible. When possible, we try to take them in one room, okay. one, one patient per room. And of course, we have a lot of equipments even for them. Different level of protection for the positive and the negative. I either cannot go in the positive area yeah. by myself mm -hmm. because you have so many protection that it's... Uh, time-consuming and expensive. You cannot just for go there and look at the patient. So only limited and very trained staff are allowed to stay with the COVID patients. Yeah. And the same is in the operating theaters. Okay. We usually have 14 operating theaters, one, four, working in the morning and in the afternoon every day. Mm -hmm. Now we have just three. One is completely isolated for the COVID-positive patient, and two or three are running for the COVID negative patient that as I told you are many trauma and some uh, acute infection and oncology that cannot wait. Of course. Real yeah. malignancy. Mm. These are the only cases. Okay, okay. And so just, just to finish off on that, so if you have, uh, you're operating on a, a COVID negative patient, do you still wear the full protection equip, uh, uh, equipment or, or not? No. No. We don't wear the full protection with the negatives. Okay. We don't have enough probably also. Yeah. Yeah. And there is a protocol for that. We take care. We use the gloves. Yeah. Even if not, not just the sterile, where we, we have double mask, we have the gloves up, uh, we have the gloves. We, we, pay, we pay a special attention, but we don't have all special dressing that they have in the COVID. Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. Not at the moment. Okay. That's really interesting. That's really interesting, Luigi, actually, because it's obviously we're sort of, as I say, slightly behind you. And I think these sort of problems or questions are, are coming up more and more in, the, in these weeks ahead for us. And it's interesting to see how you've dealt with that. In terms of if we, if we move on then, you know, you were saying that some, uh, some of your colleagues have been maybe redeployed or sent elsewhere to help with, with, other, with other aspects of, of the crisis. How do you feel, where have you felt that we can add the most value as orthopedic surgeons and, and how we adapt to those roles? Trauma, of course, this is yeah. easier because even in Italy, maybe in other countries more, in other countries less, uh, now we are quite well divided between trauma surgeon and elective orthopedic surgeons. Sure. And now the elective orthopedic surgeons have to take care of all the trauma cases. Of course, yeah. Rehabilitation, mm -hmm. which is a difficult situation also because, you know, a lot of uh, long-term rehabilitation centers have been closed because a lot of virus were found there. Of course. These are uh, uh, old people, fragile, they stay in these hospitals maybe for some weeks after uh, fractures and so on. These are very dangerous places. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, this is a, a big difficulty one. And the other one, 
we are doctors, we can do everything, but we cannot do now everything by ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we can go, that's what we do, and support, for example, our anesthetist. Mm -hmm. There is some of us that went in this department where there is some uh, general doctors and they say, okay, look at the oxygen, look at this, doing this, help me to do the uh, everyday uh, uh, report of the patient, look at mm -hmm. the exams. So for these general issues, respiratory stress, everything, we are just, we are doing, mm -hmm. but supporting. Yeah. What we are doing directly is trauma and rehabilitation of the patient coming from last week's mm -hmm. uh, surgeries, maybe, or other type of surgeries. And then last but not the least, connection with the patients at home. Via a teleconference or via phone, via WhatsApp, via Zoom, whatever. Try, try to have connections and consultations with patients yes. that are at home. Yes. And need oh. suggestions, of course. Absolutely. No, absolutely. That's really interesting. Well, should we move, if we just move on from that, I, I thought we'd briefly, before we talk about the, the, the future and where you think we'll be going forward, if we just had a brief discussion about research. Now, obviously, at this time, you know, patient care is the priority and and obviously a lot of research has been paused or, or stopped completely uh, here in the UK. And I'm sure it's the same in Italy. But if you could just briefly talk about what impact that has had on the research you do at your institution and beyond and how you, you feel you're going to move forward when, when the, the crisis does, does hopefully uh, um, uh, uh, calm down, how you'd move forward uh, in the future. We are a research hospital. And we had a huge impact on, on that because mm. uh, you know that uh, uh, clinical studies have been stopped. Absolutely. The sponsors and the PI informed us three, four weeks ago in an international level, all the clinical study must be stopped. Mm -hmm. So don't take care of them. Of course, there are different types of clinical study. The ones that you can uh, follow up the patient by phone, we can do. Yeah. But the one that needs x-rays, clinical consultation, they have been stopped and they are a lot. Mm -hmm. The other huge impact is about, about uh, laboratory research because we have a huge laboratory research. And at the beginning of the pandemic, all these researchers were sent home. The first in the hospital, we have one floor for research, they stopped the activity because the first message was reduce the number of employers in your hospital. So yeah. the researchers were on at home. Mm -hmm. So all the biological basic research that we do in the laboratory was stopped, of course. Mm -hmm. So the, it was really a big impact for us. And in the long, we don't know what it will mean, but this is the situation. Uh, for the future, uh, we have research both, of course, on COVID. Yep. We yep. need research about good screening tools. Mm -hmm. Also for elective surgery, because we, when we will restart, we need to know how to Absolutely. approach the patient, which are really the appropriate personal protection equipments, even in the different situations that we have, the, about the operating uh, flows. We don't know, sometimes someone sp speaks about the negative positive laminar flows, a lot of questions about that. Absolutely, yeah. And then about patient's safety. And moreover, be ready for a next pandemic in the future because the big problem now that we were not ready compared to some other Eastern countries in Asia, for example, we were not ready in Europe. And of course, in terms of generally non-COVID, I think that other important thing can be development of tools for remote consultation and evaluation that needs to be implemented and validated 
how to check about infection, clinical outcomes, prompts from remote, not having your patient at home. For example, some clinical study wants that prompts are done personally by the patient when in the hospital. Mm. Why? This they can do at home. This sure. can be, need to be validated, need to be further investigated. Because we must all aware that in the future, anyway, probably we will have less resources. Yes. Also for research, because everything is decreasing in terms of resources. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I think that's really interesting. I think that very much have uh, been our thoughts in terms of where the where research will be in the future and, and certainly the impact it's had so far. If we then just finally, we just talk about the future in general. Obviously, like I say, you're further along the curve than we are in the UK, but how do you envisage us moving forward clinically as a profession, uh, as our specialty, you know, with, I suppose the immediate future? I know it's impossible to say when will this ever get, when will it get back to normal in inverted commas, but what do you think, how do you envisage it moving forward and, and, and what our likely challenges are going to be? That's a very good question. The very answer is we don't know. Yeah. We don't know at least in the short time because we don't know where it will go back again. I just had a meeting web-based of course with the, Chi with the Chinese past president of the Chinese orthopedic association. And he was asked when will elective surgery be back again in Wuhan? the center. And he said, probably it will be back in two weeks from now. It was one week ago. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then we knew from the newspaper, from the TV, that some virus came back in Wuhan. Yeah. So we don't know. And they started in January. Now we are in April. So at least for two, three months, probably or more, no elective surgery, not as a routine. And then when we will start again, Again, we don't know how to screen this patient. Yes. This is a huge need. Uh, who operate or not? We know elective surgery means nothing. We, you can have a severe loosening, a rapidly destroying joint, or a mild arthritis. So we have to select the patient, to select the indication. With the list will increase. So there are a lot of challenges in front mm. of us. We need good connection. Uh, 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 we, we need to good protocols then for phase two when we start and phase three recurrence or out to to, yeah. to be safe with the procedures going on so it's really a, an ongoing process and we have the opportunity to learn one from the other every day uh, some of us like Lombardia or Italy started before some others after so they can have better situations we I think that uh, Acting as an orthop international orthopedic community will be really of paramount importance for the future. Do you know, Luigi, I, I totally agree with you. And I think, I, I think we owe uh, you and your colleagues a debt of gratitude in, in Italy because I think we have, through the communication, whether it be you know, via social media or, or, or whatever, I think we have uh, been prepared because of what we have learned from. And I think that in this day and age, the one thing that we can do well is communication and with relative ease. And I think it has made a huge difference that, and I think it will do moving forward. I totally agree. Well, Luigi, I think that's all we have time for, but thank you so much for your excellent comments and insights. Uh, we really do appreciate you taking the time to join us in a, a, such a difficult time. And we also send our best wishes to you and your colleagues and their families at these difficult times. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, and finally, as always, we also like to acknowledge and thank our, our many colleagues around the UK and across the globe for their ongoing contributions, uh, tireless contributions in the delivery of care to our patients during this pandemic. 
we at the journal will continue to try and support you in, 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 in all in any way we can. Uh, and thanks for listening. Thank you.